The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We got a real simple plan. One man, one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. If you're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, is Reese Davis. Paul Christ gets run at Wisconsin. He's not the only one. A&M and Alabama has become an afterthought stunningly and College Game Day making a trip to Kansas. This is the College Game Day podcast for Monday, October 3rd. Reese Davis here along with Pete Thamel and Pete. The primary story in college football on Sunday was the firing of Paul Christ. Uh, Coached there a little over seven seasons, grew up close to Camp Randall Stadium. He's an alumnus. He won three division titles, won an Orange Bowl, a Cotton Bowl, 67 and 26. So he couldn't beat Ohio State. Nobody can in that league anyway, save for the team that throws out the rare banana peel. But this is a lesson and it's not whether you win or lose all the time, though that's a big part of it. It's also who you lose to. And to have Brett Bielema come in in his second year with Illinois and do what Wisconsin prides itself on doing to the Badgers, they couldn't stomach it. It was too embarrassing. If they'd lost that way to anyone not coached by Brett Bielema, I suggest Paul Christ would still be the coach at Wisconsin this morning. I understand your suggestion and hear it. I don't vehemently disagree with it, but I think this was almost like a class firing. Like Wisconsin considers itself the class of the West, and they all of a sudden had some searing empirical evidence that they were just going to look like everybody else. And let's face it, no division blends together more Mm -hmm. than that Big Ten West, right? Like they had... They had lost their edge, and Brett Bielma, you are 100% right, had out Wisconsin them. He built their mousetrap better in a short period of time. And all credit to Brett. He has an ascending program. He's taken what he's learned from his time at Wisconsin, time at Arkansas, time with the Patriots, and come back a better coach. And there's just not a lot of difference between the top and the bottom of that West, and he's figured out a couple ways to build competitive advantages. Got a good quarterback from the portal, found a great tailback. They have a... Um, I had a coach tell me that they, they feel like that the front seven at Illinois is the best front seven in that Big Ten West. So mm-hmm. credit to Ryan Walters, the very good D.C., who's probably going to be in the conversation at Colorado. We'll get down to, to there in a minute. But I really feel like this was – Wisconsin has felt like Jim Leonard is the future there, and this was a way to expedite that and to not lose Jim Leonard, who the last two seasons – has really danced the dance for some different jobs. Whereas his first few seasons in Madison, he didn't pick up the call. Um, he took some long listens this offseason. And I think that unnerved the power brokers there to the point where they said, we're going to lose this guy. Did they think they were going to lose him to Nebraska? I don't know. But I really think that the potential of their ship headed in the wrong direction with what they viewed as a prized asset sitting there on their staff. And now, look, they get a – you know what? A eight-game audition with him uh, for the uh, you know for the for the rest of the way, and you know the the job is his to win. I will say that you know I don't think their roster is great right now, Reese. I don't think it pops. I've had some scouts go through there and be pretty underwhelmed. 
Um, you know, I don't think their staff's that great right now, yeah. to be honest. I, I think that that was one area that Paul didn't keep up with the, with the Joneses on and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, probably got a little lazy. When you see these guys mid career sort of slip a little bit, you can, you can kind of go to, you can kind of go to staffing and, and they just look to keep that edge. If you're a, if you're a program that wins via point of attack and you start losing by point of attack, it gets ugly fast. Well, and I, I agree with you about Leonard. I mean, they, you talked to anyone close to Wisconsin, and they have coveted this. They've been frustrated uh, with Chris the last two years because it hasn't been quite you know, what it had been when, well, frankly, when Bielema was there, when they were winning the Big Ten. Ohio State was at a different place in its arc when, uh, when Brett was doing that, to be completely fair. And I, I think is a terrific coach, and I think he's doing a, a, a great job at Illinois for sure. But I maintain that this is still it's a it's a little bit of an irrational overreaction in my judgment, unless you just say what the truth is and that you want Jim Leonard to be the head coach. And we're not doing any kind of search unless he, you know, completely face plants in these you know last seven or eight games. But this is the guy we want. So we had to fire the old guy to make sure that he didn't leave because this is a you talked about the front seven. Pete, they lost everybody on that defense last year. They had three guys. Back from yeah. their starting defense a year ago. Now, I'm not trying to offer a passionate defense of Paul Christ. I think all of the things that you're saying are accurate, and they didn't come along. And he probably made an error in judgment at quarterback, though Mertz is the highest-ranked quarterback uh, quarterback recruit they've ever signed. But yeah. you know, in terms of when they handed him back the job, might have been an error in judgment. But I just think this is all of this is almost irrational. It's like an overreaction. It may work. It may, I'm not saying it won't work, but the timing of it immediately after you lose to Bielema, season's not over yet. If you want to, if you want to hire Jim Leonard after the season, well, go ahead. But I don't know, man. I mean, this is very un Wisconsin as opposed to on Wisconsin. This is very un Wisconsin to kind of cut the knees out of one of their own at this point largely in my judgment because they were embarrassed Saturday and they were, I mean, they had two yards rushing or whatever it was. I mean, that was, that was an embarrassing performance and Chris deserves every bit of criticism that you want to give him for letting the program slip. And the other thing I didn't like, and and you correct me on this and I'll be much more open to hearing a correction on this and admitting I'm wrong, man, it rubbed me the wrong way unless the contract says something different that Chris McIntosh said, well, the, uh, the settlement's going to be much less than the numbers reported. You know what? Is it in the contract? Pay it. That's what Trev Alberts yeah. did, man. Trev Alberts said, I didn't agree to this contract. This was before I came in, but the number says this, and we're paying that because that's what we do at Nebraska. So correct me if I'm wrong, but it, and all I'm saying, I don't know what the number is. You're more inclined to know that than I am. But if the number says 16.7, or 1.2 or 52 cents. Whatever the contract says, that's what they should pay him. Period. I, I agree, Reese. And uh I yeah, I, it was interesting. There was no clarity from the from the buyout space, uh, from the buyout space yesterday. The last contract data I had on Christ was that it was going to be 16.4 million, 16 and change million. Now I did see in our reporting that he was rolled over in January. So like they just had extended him that could have pushed the buyout even higher. I saw one of the local places had it at 19 million. 
And so regardless, it's, it's gobs of money. It's lots of money. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see what Paul ends up with there. And they're, and they're gonna, and they're gonna announce that. But I'm with you. If you are going to lock these guys in, if you are gonna sign the contracts, if you're gonna commit to them, don't be like UConn did and try to like make up some jaywalking violation and get taken to court like they did with Kevin Ollie. Yeah. Hey, we're all there. You're in the big boy billion dollar entertainment business. Don't start to like look for back doors. And I, I, that, that is to me, you know, step up to the table and pay. If you want to yeah. move, pay. Like Paul Chris, it wasn't like, you know, he, he had impeccable character and he was a steady Eddie. And mm-hmm. you, you knew exactly what you had with Paul Christ when you just rolled him over eight months ago or whatever yeah. it was. So, um, yeah, and it, it'd be curious. And maybe, you know, I don't know what happened behind the scenes there yesterday. Maybe they wanted staff changes and Paul wouldn't do it. Maybe there was some of that natural back and forth mm-hmm. that, that came to, you know, that forced everything to, to a head here. But, um, yeah, I, in, it, it's interesting just to step back at Wisconsin, right? Like, cause this was a place that for generations was a party in a band, right? Mm-hmm. And Barry brought them success. Is Wisconsin engineered generally with local talent, with natural resources of talent? Is it really engineered for high, high end college football success? I would say generally no. Now, maybe within the West, is it is it a better job than most? Yes. But, you know, can you get good linemen? They've always built to their identity really well, which is one thing I've always appreciated about uh, about Wisconsin. Um, but be careful, man. 72% pretty darn good, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. You, you, you go to Arizona State, UAB, Nebraska. Look at Nebraska. They would kill for Bo Pelini's results. So mm-hmm. um, uh, the, what surprised me, you, you used the phrase that was great, Reese, un-Wisconsin. This was extremely un-Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. And the fact they couldn't try to fix it, was it that untenable? Yeah. Like you couldn't go and try to fix it? I don't know, man. Because that 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 program, I want to say they were in the Rose Bowl in 19. Yeah. It, yeah. yeah. COVID's wacky, hard to glean much from results. In that, and then they were nine and four last year. Yeah. So, they, you know, look, they have been – recently especially on offense what they were even early in paul's tenure i acknowledge yes. that there was some slippage there there's no question no about question. that and you know that and that makes it that makes it fair game and maybe in the heat of the moment or maybe the quotes that that i heard and read you know maybe there there are some other things i don't know what that just always rubs me the wrong way now if paul is willing to negotiate and they negotiate okay well you get what you negotiate but this, I don't know why it struck me the wrong way when the athletic director said, well, the number's not as high. Now, if if the implication there is that the reported numbers, that there's a clause in the contract, that the number's lower, okay, fine. That's what was negotiated. But this idea, mm-hmm. uh, I, it struck me for what my, uh, my inference of the quote was, don't worry, we're not paying him that much to go away. Uh, it reminds me, Pete, um, one of my first, Actually, I guess my my first studio partner for college football at ESPN was John Makovic. And, uh, you know, John, you know, John got uh, got run out of a couple jobs in his career. You know, fine gentleman, good man. And um, John, I think it was, it was probably the Illinois job that he uh, that he had been dismissed from. And he was having a conversation, I believe, with John Cooper on the golf course. And they were talking about buyouts and the statute of limitations is passed now. So I can tell this story. Um, 
They were talking about buyouts and Coop was insisting to Makovic that, no, I'm sure you only got you only got your base salary because at the time, you know, they give you a very small base salary. Maybe that way, same place as a, a lot of places still now. And all of the money, real money came from uh, radio, media rights, TV, Mice, Nike, whatever it is, to which Makovic responded. No, John, every dime. Well, every dime of the base salary, but no, no, every dime because he negotiated his contract and he got it all. And and to me, uh, to me, that's reasonable. I don't I actually don't mind the firings. You know, this is a big entertainment industry. This is professional sports. It is what it is. People can say it's not. It is professional sports you have to have results your number one job is not to develop young people it's not to foster their uh education it's to win games that does not mean you can't have a positive influence on those players and also do those things and you should but the number one thing is you have to win so if you don't want this person to coach your program anymore do you want to fire them go ahead absolutely go ahead but you pay them man you pay them. You pay them what you agreed to pay them to send them on their way. And that's that's completely reasonable and fair, and I'm totally good with it. But don't start talking about, you know, well, we're going to reduce the buyout. No, or we're going to, like the Kevin Ollie thing at UConn that you referenced, we're going to make up some NCAA thing and say we're not yeah. paying you. No, you don't want him to coach. They're fine. That's your right. But the contract says you pay them. So pay them. And, you know, that's fair enough. And, and so every coach – who, uh, especially my buddy Seth Greenberg, who says, oh, you're always on coaches. Well, there you go. I just defended them right there. So what you? Yeah, I, I really think that, uh, it, you know, you, you hit the core of what I feel in that. And look, Wisconsin decided they weren't entertaining enough, insert joke here, right? That's really what For it sure. was. Like, yeah. And they decided hope is gone, right? And hope can be expensive. Mm-hmm. It, to, 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 to recreate. And it'll be really interesting to see, you know, Bobby Ingram is coming there from the NFL as offensive coordinator. That has not gone well. It'll be interesting to see Jim Leonard. Okay. You want the big seat, Jim? Here we go. Hard mm-hmm. decisions to be made. Um, not a lot of options when you look up and down that staff room. How's this really going to, you know, going to go? I also think what hurt Chris, when you look back at the past few years, was the fact that Graham Mertz just crushed it in that Illinois game, the COVID year. And it just built this unrealistic expectations because Graham Mertz, Reese, just is not that good of a quarterback. All right. And that's, I think we're always pretty fair to players here and we don't try to pick on them, but like there's a pretty good body of empirical evidence that says his reality did not meet his recruiting projections. And now, whether it was a failure of the Wisconsin staff to realize that or a failure of, uh, you know, just a failure of, you know, his, his ranking coming up or really a failure in the quarterback room to not have a better option. Um, but that I, I just think almost when expectations are built and not met, it, it can really hurt more so than anything. Cause all of a sudden we were expecting things from Wisconsin. We we're expecting a difference mm-hmm. maker there. And that just never happened. Now, is that a, is that a mistake of development? Or is that a, you know, I, I, or is that just a talent issue there? I don't know the answer to that, but I do think that when you, when you look at this sort of precipitous decline of Christ, it is, uh, it is, it is in lockstep with Graham Mertz. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Weekend Review is brought to you by Eckridge Smoked Sausage. Find them in the refrigerated meat aisle at your favorite grocery store to create one-of-a-kind sausage recipes. Eckridge, you do you. How fitting is it that we're talking about Wisconsin and making a coaching change and somehow the presenting sponsor is sausage. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> I'm not really sure if Eckridge has bratwurst or not, cheese curds. But so looking ahead now, Pete, you're, you're locked in on this. Look. It seems to me, kind of having at least some insight and connection with some of the power structure at Wisconsin, that Jim Leonard is the guy they want. Is there a real search that's going to happen, or is it uh, is the only way there's a real search is if they completely crater out the rest of the season and then they go, oh, geez, we can't do this. We've got to start over. They don't want there to be a search, Reese. They think they have the answer there. He has been a coveted asset, and they've made a bold and expensive move to make that happen. So if they continue to sputter, they either have to come up with a plan to save it in the future and really put a great staff around him. I do really think uh, a new age offensive coordinator and some some juice on the offensive side of the ball is going to be is going to be needed there. Um, yeah, I really think that. That it is, it, I would be pretty stunned if it doesn't end up. To, they are going to do gymnastics to try to make it Jim Leonard. Now, does it does it actually end up there? I don't know. You never know until until someone coaches. But think about this: in that West, you're going up against Kirk Ferentz, you're going up against Pat Fitzgerald, you're going up against PJ Fleck, you're going up against Jeff Brom. Those are very good head coaches, right? Mm-hmm. And who who can you go on the market and get right now with Did Midwest? You mention, you mentioned Bielema in that group. I did not. Wow, I did not. I'm so used to Illinois being irrelevant. Sorry, Brett. Um, no, but those are all like high class yeah. winning head coaches. So you have to bring in someone who can compete with those guys, compete with them in recruiting, compete with them tactically on the field. That's not easy, Reese. And so like right now, if I had to come up with three names for Wisconsin that weren't Jim Leonard, I don't know if there's any really easy ones there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like you hire the best Mac coach, it's Thomas Hammock. He's done a nice job at Northern Illinois, but like, you can't tell me he's going to come in and roll over those other guys. Um, yeah. and then, you know, does, does, is Dave Doran an option? Um, again, we've talked about Dave Doran at Nebraska a little bit, but again, that gap between the haves and the have nots, the power two and everybody else is significant. Um, my hunch is Dave Doran would crawl there because that's a place where he has ties and roots and he has Midwest ties. I really think that like, though it would have to be 
a higher end hire like that. They can't, there's some risk with Jim Leonard, but he's one of them and he's seen what it's supposed to look like. There aren't a whole lot of certainties once you go, you know, once you go past that. One of the great what ifs I'm going to end on on here as I start speculating is Al Golden was like a nose hair away from taking Wisconsin. I want to say it was the Gary Anderson time. Um, And, you know, yeah, no. And like he would still be there with his tie on the sideline winning, you know, 21 to 10. Like I just he was like a perfect fit there. But Miami had some moments and, you know, it. It didn't end up happening, and I've never talked to Al Golden about that. But that, I think, is a uh, that has to be one that you know he wakes up in the middle of the night sometimes and being like, "What was I thinking?" I uh, yeah, I'm sure uh, on the subject of Gary Anderson. When Gary Anderson voluntarily left Wisconsin, I was at an event, and I'm not going to use your phrase. I picked up this phrase from you from you and I hanging. I'm not going to dime out the guy who said it, but it was a very prominent head coach who knew Anderson quite well, and. He came up to me at this event, this not football event, and he goes, Gary Anderson, what is, is he just trying to ruin his career? What is he doing <laughs> when, when he walked away uh, from Wisconsin? I want to ask you, I want to move on to a couple of things, but there is one aspect of this that I want to ask you about and your, your feelings and what insight you've been able to glean on it as it pertains to Jim Leonard taking over for Paul Christ. And I want to preface this by saying that I don't I don't know Jim Leonard well, but everything that I know about him, he is a man of high character. And I'm not for one second suggesting this would be something that he has facilitated or orchestrated. I'm merely talking about the potential for the fallout when you are on someone's staff and you are the handpicked successor and they sort of shove the other guy out of the way to make room for you. That's not your fault. I mean, what are you going to do? You know, resign and protest yeah. or whatever. And, you know, I think Jim had a great phrase uh, about this. He said, this is a dream that is emerging from a nightmare because mm-hmm. I think he, you know, Paul Chris gave him a chance when he didn't have any coaching experience. And that's been, uh, you know, that's been a very wise move on Chris's part. And Leonard has proved, proven worthy of that. But I always think back to sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You create a division in that department. I remember when the whole Phil Fulmer sort of, you know, sneaking around the chicken coop with John Majors and ending up taking over at Tennessee. Um, You know, there are hard feelings that last for a long time after something like that. How do you see that playing out? Is there any danger of that? Um, and and th- this is different, by the way. I want to, again, emphasize, I don't think Jimmy Leonard was doing that at all, at all. I just think he's the guy that the power structures decided is the future. But that could still be the fallout, whether intended or not. Yeah, I will answer that with a question. What does Barry Alvarez really think of this, Reese? That's yeah, what that's, I want to know. What does Barry Alvarez really, really think of this? Because if Barry Alvarez was the athletic director... I think he would have been more solution-based than firing-based. That's an opinion. Barry Alvarez is not a fireman in the middle of the season. Barry definitely would have made himself the interim, by the way. But that's another story for another time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just really think that that, you know, that's that's Paul is Barry's guy. And obviously, Jim Leonard played in that era. And, you know, I'm sure there's a great relationship there. But I just, I, you know. I don't know if uh, if Chris McIntosh had to go get Barry's blessing on this, but this is not Barry Alvarez's Wisconsin that we're seeing here. And look, the world changes. I'm not yelling at a cloud. 
Um, you know, they're getting right. $80 bajillion dollars a year from the Big Ten and $4 million a year is probably like the Bratwurst budget, you know, at the, for the press box, right? So, um, and that's, you know, essentially what they're going to be paying Paul for the, for the next couple of years, according to his contract. We'll see what it really ends up being. But that's a long, that's a long way to say, Reese, like this just seems like it could cause some schisms in old guards. The Wisconsin family has always been more functional than most college football mm-hmm. families, right? There was a very clear dawn in charge mm-hmm. and everything kind of fell in line and it was pretty orderly and pretty drama free. If you, there's one way to describe Wisconsin in the last 25 years is almost been devoid of drama, right? Mm-hmm. Like I can't think of like, you know, maybe Gary Anderson sort of scooting out, but other than that, man, there has not been much. It has been a, uh, it's been the family station wagon, man. It's got 200,000 miles on it and it rolls up and it gets you from A to B. And this is a, this is a little bit of a different era. And, uh, we'll, we'll see how, uh, we'll see how Tesla Wisconsin works. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that that doesn't even go together. I, that's hard to compute. Uh, compute that thing to me, man. I, I don't know. That's uh, it. Just seemed like I, I don't know. I called to mind the Ted Lasso scene, you know, with uh, uh, the former owner early seasons Rupert and his new Rebecca with the former Rebecca who was left with the team and the divorce and you know a lot of anxiety and people picking sides and all of that kind of thing. So that was. Uh, facilitated and pushed forward when uh, when Bielema came in and and won that game and embarrassed him. And you know, I I don't have any idea if they had to get Barry's blessing on it, but I think that we're all conditioned, those of us who've been around Wisconsin for a number of years, to think, well, they, they wouldn't do anything, <laughs> you know, without making sure that that he was uh, in the loop and and advising and all those types of things. But again, it's it's a new it's a new era. Maybe maybe not. You know, and and the other thing is, Barry's a tough guy. And, and my perception on this, that maybe they could have waited to the end of the season. That's one guy. And I'm not saying that he would say this, but if if he felt like it needed to change now, then, you know, that that would be very persuasive because no one knows that place the way he does. And it would be interesting to know. And I would my guess is, is that he will lay pretty low on this, at least for a while in terms of his reaction to it. But. It would be fascinating to know uh, what he thought and what he thinks about their direction going forward. Uh, this is a subplot. This is almost like one of those news items that you sneak in there. That way you don't get a lot of attention about it. Not sure it would have gotten a lot of attention anyway. Uh, Colorado firing Carl sure. Durrell. I think their closest game this year was 23 points. Uh, had a good COVID year, but just didn't really work. What's next there? It's it's a good question, Reese. Um, as I've been saying way too much this year, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's always hard to project what's going to happen with the coaching search when you don't know about the AD search. Rick George, the athletic director there, um, is you know going to be now, I think, hiring his third coach um, and has been under a lot of criticism locally like that. That is uh, that is there. So before I think Colorado has to kind of decide, you know, what its alignment is going to look like pushing forward before it uh, before it rolls on here. But um, we have to almost look at the coaching carousel, Reese, through a completely different paradigm than we used to. Um, obviously, we're sitting here pre-Columbus Day, and we have five, you know, power five jobs that are open, plus UAB, which is going into the AAC, which has an interim. So obviously, Nebraska's open. Obviously, Arizona State's open. 
Georgia Tech's open. Then you have the two jobs in the Big Ten, Nebraska and Wisconsin. Now we're all sitting back waiting for Auburn. That's probably going to happen before Halloween-ish. And then Louisville has sort of inserted itself into the conversation of, you know, a pre-Thanksgiving decision. So that's a roundabout way to say and to bring Colorado into this. The chess match now is who goes early and who waits, right? And ADs by generally are generally speaking, 20 years doing this are risk averse humans. Mm -hmm. So does a Colorado, Arizona state hiring a Tom Herman, Dan Mullen, Bronco Mendenhall, those guys have all of a sudden their attractiveness compared to August 15th to October 15th to me has rocketed up because and I don't think Mullen's coming back, so he might not be a bad example. He might not be the best example. He seems happy in the media. Um, but all of a sudden, if you can have a guy roll in like Clay Helton did at Georgia State, like Joey McGuire did at Texas Tech, like Jim Mora did at UConn, if you can have a guy roll in who's experienced, evaluate your roster, figure out where to go in the portal, brand a new identity, get to know your players. The most important part of that, Clay Helton and Jared Banco at Georgia Southern have told me, is that you have to recruit your own roster. Mm -hmm. You not only have to get players to fill holes, but you have to keep dudes because they can all leave. And so there was the the SMU TCU stuff, um, which was obviously, you know, there, there was obviously a lot of crossover and some some infighting with with roster and talent there. Mm -hmm. So I do think we're going to see some hires in early November again. And I, I think, you know, like if Tom Herman went to Colorado, Arizona State, I think we'd all sit back and say, all right, that guy's produced a bunch of top 25 teams. There'll be better quarterback play. There'll be some energy and identity. Like that's a, that's a pretty good hire. Um, but there's, there's also, you know, there's, there's other coaches sitting out. Like if Bronco Mendenhall ends up at Nebraska and they could bring him in, for example, like I think just those conversations are going to start happening in earnest here pretty, mm -hmm. pretty quickly because that dynamic has changed. So that's a Colorado's a tough job. There's not a ton of great assistant coaches right now in the Pac-12 that are going to be in the midst of that outside of Alex Grinch. And then in the Mountain West, well, first of all, there's another Harson landing spot too, right? Like mm -hmm. if if slash when Auburn does what we all think they're going to do, Brian Harson would be a pretty good fit in, in Tempe and he'd be a pretty good fit in Boulder. Um, so, you know, who can go land an established guy early in the cycle and get it, you know, and get things, uh, and get things rolling again. Um, yeah. So it's a, it's, it's a pretty interesting, uh, it's a pretty interesting time and dynamic right now, Reese, uh, for Colorado to be entering the marketplace. But I, I, I'll leave the carousel thought with this. I wrote going into the season, like I write this every year. This year should be quiet. And here we are six jobs open. And it may not be a, a cycle where a bunch of blue blood jobs open where it's insane. Last year was insane. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be insane, but it's not quiet. Mm -hmm. Before we move on, check out a new ESPN and Omaha Productions podcast against all odds with Cousin Sal, Jimmy Kimmel Live personality, Cousin Sal Iacono, and his three childhood friends, lovingly known as the degenerate trifecta, break down the world of gambling across a variety of sports. Each week, the guys offer up odds, analysis, and their best bets, and they talk to celebrities and Vegas experts. That's Against All Odds with Cousin Sal. Follow the show wherever you're listening to this podcast. There are a couple of other jobs that will not open. Not suggesting for a second, even in this new era of making moves quickly uh, for a number of reasons. 
one's the amount of money owed to the guys that they've just hired, but there is significant unrest at a couple of places because of performance on the field. Uh, one is Michigan State with Mel Tucker, very who left Colorado to go to Michigan State, and now all of a sudden, after a great year last year, the new job's not going so great and doesn't have a lot of sign of getting better with Ohio State looming and still the date with Michigan and still the date with Penn State. Uh, doesn't look like that's going to get better anytime soon. And Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M, all through the offseason, all we did in terms of looking ahead in college game day is like, man, October 8th, what's it going to be like in Tuscaloosa when Jimbo and Nick get together? Oh, the spats, the back and forth, the, you know, the, the semi-thinly veiled accusations one toward the other. Um, that's going to be great. Now, instead... We come in with the Aggies taking yet another beating at the hand of Mike's Pirate School. Um, with Texas A&M on a Saturday in Starkville, at one point someone tweeted out a fascinating statistic that Texas A&M at that point in the game had four trips into the red zone and had been outscored in their own trips to the red zone by Mississippi State 7-3. to three. And you know, State ended up you know, running them out of the building. Um, they man manufactured a mild little comeback, but, you know, state ran them out of there. Aggies come in reeling Alabama. You know, you don't know what Bryce Young's situation is with his shoulder. If he'll be able to play against them, that's been relegated to the, to the back burner. And meanwhile, Aggie fans are apoplectic about what's going on with their team right now. Already, uh, already with a couple of losses and boy, it looks like several more on the horizon. Yeah, Texas A&M is a, is a fascinating mess, Reese. And uh, the one thing I'm really curious about going into Tuscaloosa this week, Max Johnson obviously hurt his hand at the end of that game. You, you saw him as the classic follow-through quarterback sort of pop, made by a thumb, I'm not sure. Uh, but all of a sudden now, you have you have the same old story with Haynes King, who is a nice player, but but generally has shown to be pedestrian. So, You've got Connor Wigman sitting there, the five-star. He's sort of Texas A&M's answer to Quinn Ewers. When does Jimbo let it rip? Like, what, 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 are you, what are you waiting for at this point? I mean, you can't regress any worse on offense. He is all signs point to, like, talent off the charts with Wigman. And that offense just has shown very little connectivity, very little juice. Um, unfortunately for our friend David Pollack, uh, Max Johnson hasn't been it. Uh, he's been okay, but he hasn't been it. And so it will be fascinating to see if this is the weekend for, for Jimbo Fisher where, where he does it. Because at a certain point, you need to give your face, fan base hope. His contract now, I believe, is through 2031, right? So nobody's firing Jimbo Fisher. But I think he has no. to take a long look at that staff because that staff is old and stale in, in some places, and especially on the offensive side of the ball. There are some uh, there's some very good members of that staff. Uh, D-line coach is excellent. Highest paid D-line coach in the country. Really, really, uh, really, really coveted. But at the end of the day, I think like that is, you know, you can stay somewhere four or five years. That staff is just sort of flat. And uh, you, you can spend all this money on head coach, but if he's not surrounded by the right guys and the, the hard offseason conversation for Jimbo will be the play calling one. Does he bring in a young, you know, a younger person to, to, to handle some of that, to, to give some creativity to the offense? Because let's face it, Reese, it's been a while since Jimbo Fisher has been some kind of offensive 
innovator, some sort of offensive forward guy where you're like, wow, they're doing a great job on offense. The end of Florida State, people forget, was kind of a mess. They went five mm-hmm. and seven. They had no O-line. There were holes there. And I don't think there's been much of a time at A&M where we've been like, wow, they're really crushing it on offense. They're, the SEC shaking in their boots to play that A&M team. And, and I think that it's going to be a period of, uh, a period of reflection there for, uh, for Jimbo and his bosses who are paying him a lot of money. And, you know, who quite frankly, uh, you know, saw the threat of LSU last year panicked, just like the, the administrators at Michigan State saw the threat of, uh, LSU last year and panicked and they handed over, you know, hundred million dollars combined <laughs> extending yeah. these guys. And, uh, the, you know, the results for Mel Tucker at Michigan State have been sort of consistent with his career results. Um, the, the Kenneth Walker year is starting to look more and more like an anomaly. And, uh, you know, if I'm a Texas A&M fan, I expected Jimbo Fisher to come in with what he was being paid and, you know, compete and win for national titles. And that just hasn't happened. He has the exact same record as Kevin Sumlin after 53 games, both 37 and 16. He's a five. 500 program over their last 10 games in SEC play, and they just lost for the sixth time to an unranked opponent uh, while he's been at A&M. And as if that's not bad enough, um, Jimbo got his truck towed. I mean, there was no, there was no parking problem. Just turns out uh, needed some maintenance. I mean, the transmission skipping the drive shaft had the whole thing shaking uh, when he tried to accelerate. The wheels were out of alignment. Treads gone on the tires. Needed new spark plugs. Oh, I, don't, I don't have any idea what was wrong with the truck. I was just talking about his offense right now. <laughs> so, yeah, that so, that it, it it's it's interesting that in in some ways there's a little bit more optimism around Texas where they are on offense. You know, where at least like Ewers gave him one quarter of hope, right? Now mm-hmm. he's obviously good in the Monroe game, but like there's at least like that's hope and optimism are missing from the Texas A&M program right now. And with Smith out for the rest of the year, and it'll be interesting to see the wave of young talent. So a lot of the optimism around A&M was like, well, they have all these great five stars mm-hmm. that have come now. Again, Jimbo Fisher would be very mad if we insinuated he bought those five stars, as we saw from this summer. But the reality is NIL played a role in that sure class. I don't think, I don't think, you know. And there's the nothing wrong hard, with that, by nope, the way. That, that's the way I'm it is I'm not insinuating anything's yeah. wrong with it. Yeah. But what we have seen in the past from quote-unquote bought players is that sometimes they go to situations that don't work and they run fast. And mm-hmm. so this is going to be a really interesting test for A&M. Um, which is a great place in a great game environment, but is not for everybody, right? Like it's, you know, it's very different than Austin. It's very different than a lot of the other SEC towns. Like how many of these kids with lack of success take a peek around and say, I want to go back closer to home. I mean, they were, they were pulling kids in from Seattle. They were pulling mm-hmm. kids in from Florida. Like they were recruiting in a place in, in with a, in, on a map. Uh, beyond what they were accustomed to doing historically. So w- it'll be interesting to see the, the roster going forward here because, you know, the, the danger for Jimbo is the results don't come, the talent flees, and all of a sudden he's the 20 years later version of Mac Brown, who they used to call Mr. February. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, Vince Young, Vince Young ultimately changed that narrative and, and brought a title there. So as Texas A&M projects going forward here, they have that, App State loss, which is just like a scarlet letter kind of loss. That's going to, that is going to hound them for decades. And they have this roster 
filled with, you know, young talent. There's been some young talent that has flashed on that roster. Their ability to keep that young talent now with the geographic diversity they've recruited with is going to be interesting because the results haven't been there. Now, I have no idea how the experience has been for these kids, but you saw some missed curfew. You saw some suspension. You saw some general unrest. Like, it's hard to say. Things are going great at Texas A&M right now. So you uh, you go back and, and I'll leave with this thought for as we're in Alabama week, there was a uh, there was a quote from from Ross Bjork to Ross Dellinger um, in the in the in the heated, heated, like, um, you know, amid the cat fight that was Jimbo Nick, of which nobody looked good. The one quote that uh, that that I am going to remember and, and I was uh, I looked it up the other day, quote. I don't know why Nick Saban would say what he said, except he's threatened. There's a saying, an emperor who loses their dynasty lashes out. I guess people don't like A&M disrupting the power base of college football. So when you go with your like sort of like overdramatic, overwrought, misguided quote list for 2022, I have a feeling come Saturday at midnight – that one is going to be pretty prominently placed because that that reads like hallucinogens were uh, were given to Ross Bjork before he said that with his name out loud. On the <laughs> yeah, the the one I think is going to be really easy, both in that game and maybe in, in Michigan State too, to dismiss it. Say, boy, they're about to take the whipping that they've uh, richly earned. Occasionally, Alabama has gotten really, really wound up for games. And Saban has talked about this from time to time that when there's some type of external thing that he tries to guard against, they've come out, especially at home, when the crowd's ravenous, they've been a little too wound up. AM is backed into a massive corner. I think they will, I, I think they will come out with a ton of fight. If they don't, that's going to be really, really worrisome for the Aggies. And I think the same is going to be true for Michigan State. It's an altogether different question whether they can do anything about it other than sustain something early. But AM, AM especially because they're probably more talented than Michigan State. They're desperate. That I mean, they this is this is a challenge to their complete credibility for all the things you've mentioned from the offseason, from the way they've performed early. If they go in and Alabama trucks them and covers the spread, especially if they do it with a with an inexperienced quarterback from the state of Texas and Jalen Milrow, if Bryce Young should not be able to play. And we don't, as we speak right now, we don't know about that. And Nick hasn't spoken in the news conference today. Not that we'll have any clarity on that, I don't think, by Monday. Mm -hmm. But if that were to happen, then that's really that that's really problematic for AM for the rest of the season. So it's one of the fascinating storylines. We spent way too what much is the time. Spread, Reese? What it's is the uh, spread? at last check right here, it's 24, which Woo-hoo! tells me that our comrades in arid regions believe that Bryce Young is going to play because Jalen Milrow is wildly talented, a, a ridiculous athlete. But he's certainly not yet the polished passer that Bryce Young is. And I would not think that, or, and very few are, as Nick said after the game, there's only one Bryce Young. Um, as I've been fond of saying, Alabama's uh, biggest weapon, if you're trying to decide if they're going to win or lose a game, is they have Bryce Young and you don't, um, you know, is one of the biggest things. But that would tell me that the, that the experts who have ways of coming up with that type of information expecting that Bryce Young's going to play. 
but that's a, that's a big number anyway you slice it. Yeah. There's some ambiguity over Bryce Young. The, the general feel from 30,000 feet is this isn't some like significant structural thing that's going to hold him, you know, it's going to impact the, you know, the season in terms of the playoff and the, and the draft, like all that stuff. Like shoulders are scary. It's obviously his throwing shoulder. Um, yeah, I, but there will be, I think, some ambiguity until kick on whether or mm-hmm. not he plays, but just the general feeling around Young is that like this is, as like go to the injury tent, go to the locker room, miss a half goes. It's 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 recoverable, and there's still a lo- going to be a lot of good football for him to play this year, whether it's this Saturday or not. That's uncertain. And Saturday on a day when there's the Red River rivalry, Texas Oklahoma. There's Jimbo Nick Fest Palooza in Tuscaloosa. Uh, there is LSU and Tennessee and Baton Rouge. There's the Deep South's oldest rivalry. Auburn in Georgia, and of course, of course, we're in Lawrence, Kansas for TCU in Kansas and a couple of the really uh, feel-good, positive stories of the first uh, month and change of the season. And how about I you? Know what I like in August, Reese. I don't yeah. know about you. <laughs> yeah, no, I you already had your my hotel, hotel my rental time. car. Like, yeah, it was <laughs> obvious. The you know what I you know what I was most impressed with this past weekend about Kansas. We've seen them win these wild shootouts. We said, man, that offense is explosive. They, you know, they, they have, they're a threat to outscore you. Good teams can win in multiple ways. And Kansas just won a 14-11 game against, you know, not a great team for sure, but against a solid, tough, hard-nosed team. They won 14-11. They, they won a different kind of game. Yes, and uh, I had a I had a funny text exchange, uh, you know, with some of the Kansas staff guys, letting them know we were coming there this weekend. And Andy Kotelnicki, the excellent offensive coordinator who should be one of the front runners for the Broyles Award this year, kind of apologized for the offense's like light performance. I was like, Andy, you're at Kansas, buddy. Like, <laughs> you don't apologize for winning in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> you could win two nothing, and you don't have to apologize for how you're playing on offense. You've done a you've done a pretty good job. You hung forty eight on uh, on on Houston. Like you're you're good that a gritty Iowa State team figured out a way to 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 gum things up, and we are seeing teams catch up to Kansas a little bit, right? There's more film mm. on them. Like the players are, and, and I hate to say this because it sounds patronizing, but I don't think when Kansas rolled into West Virginia, every single Mountaineer thought they were going to get 55 dealt on them, right? Yeah. Like I don't yeah. think I think they thought Kansas was the Kansas of the last decade. So some of that element of surprise is gone. Some of the new wrinkles on offense have now been shown on film. There's, you know, that's the beauty of college football. There's, and that's why it's still so wild in the middle of the season because all our early season snapshots are now altered by in-game adjustments and in-season adjustments to, you know, to what teams' identities have become. So um, I'm also really excited to see TCU. Uh, Me too, yeah. They were, you know, they were obviously one of the bigger mysteries left on the board. I think we talked about this a little this week. They had, they had, they had one game where they, they were like a split personality. They were unbelievable. You know, the one competitive game they had, they were unbelievable in the first half and then, you know, peed down their leg a little bit in the second half. So we didn't quite know what we had from them. And then they obviously just dumped truck Colorado and started the, you know, the drive of Carl Durrell out of town in Boulder in that opener on that Friday night. And then they played Tarleton, which was hard to, which was hard to judge. The most amazing thing to me about TCU, and we talked about this on game day on Saturday, um, is that they've done this all without Quentin Johnston. He barely was a factor um, in in that game. I mean, in the first half, he had two touches. Like, they've done this 
with a great complement of receivers and give Malcolm Kelly, the receiver coach, their credit because they've, they've found weapons on offense without a guy who a lot of scouts think is going to be a first-round pick, and he's only been modestly productive so far this year. If you had told me that TCU was going to be undefeated and roaring into a, a game-day matchup in Week 5, I would tell you that you know this guy was going to be approaching the conversation with the Jackson Smith and Jigbas of the world, mm-hmm. and that, that hasn't happened. Some of it was because they held him back and he'd only played – I think seven quarters so far, uh, you know, so far this year. Some of that was by design, but it just, he, he just hasn't flashed yet. And I don't think that's for lack of talent. And maybe some defenses were shaded his way. Shoot. They did what they wanted against Oklahoma. You can't apologize oh. for 41 in the first half. Yeah. Ted Roof had a bad Saturday, huh? Yeah. Well, that's, that's another conversation maybe we'll have about yeah. <clears throat> later on about constructing staffs and whether uh, Venables and his new role as a head coach, you know, need someone other than just to implement what he thinks should be done and taking care of the little things that he can't really attend to as well because of, as he could as a coordinator, because of his uh, obligations as a head coach. But TCU, 668 yards, nine yards per play. Then I'll lead the nation in yards per play, averaging over eight. Um, I, you know, they've, they have been, and Duggan has been great. He's a tremendous story guy who stuck around well, after initially absolutely. not winning the job. But you know, back to the Kansas point, the last thing I'll make on this is yeah. we put a bow on this. It's easy to see it and go, yeah, Kansas, they, they've stunk for a long time. Some of these numbers that I went back and refreshed my memory on from the preseason chart that I've referenced on here that I do just to gain a little perspective. Since 2008, which, by the way, was the last time they won more than one Big 12 game in a season, and now they've already won two. Since 2008, 26 and 115 overall. That's bad. In the Big 12, 8 and 106 since then. And they've been alone in, la- alone in last place. The undisputed worst team in the Big 12 every year since 2015. Every year. And now, here they are. Game day coming to town. 5-0. and oh, I don't have any illusions that this is some type of, you know, they're probably not going to win the Big 12. They might, but they're probably not going to. What they can do Saturday is become bowl eligible. How about that for a first step? And then anything on top of that is icing on the cake. They've done a marvelous job, and they're good. They're they're fun to watch, and, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to to getting to Lawrence. I think it's going going to be a tremendous scene on Saturday morning. Yeah, they can win every game remaining on their schedule. And that is not something you've been able to say about Kansas right. football for a long, long time. I don't think they're going to go 12 and 0, but I do think they are going to be competitive no. throughout. And I just, yeah, it has been a metamorphosis, a, a resurrection. Um, Lance Lazarus should be his name because, geez, he has done an unbelievable job bringing that program <laughs> From the depths of the dead. Do you like that, Reese? I got a little Bible drop in there for you. you you're rubbing off on me. I, I love, I love a good biblical reference. That's uh, that that always resonates with us here. As we wrap up here, every every Monday, I like to come up with the dumb loses more than smart wins. It's a it's a mantra uh, recited to me many times during my years of working college basketball with Bob Knight. Uh, Bob would always say, dumb loses more than smart wins. You're not going to outsmart every guy. So a lot of times, if you just wait for the other guy to do something dumb, uh, you'll win. And I want to emphasize again that 
it is the play, not the coach or the players that I am calling in to question the uh, in the moment in game intelligence of such a move. And with that, for the second consecutive week, I return to Jordan Hare Stadium in Auburn. Why? Why the trick play with Coy Moore trying to throw the pass and then trying to throw it away, getting picked off by LSU's Harold Perkins? They had a chance to win, and it was like in that moment that the Auburn staff, whether it was Harson or Keesaw or whoever decided to make that call, said, I'm going to show them my Boise State trick them stuff, and this will really fool them. And it melted down just don't just don't man because it's moves like that that get you put on dumb loses more than smart wins and you know auburn largely controlled a huge portion of that game and just made catastrophic error after catastrophic error to give lsu uh, a chance to win and go in for a big match with tennessee this week so my only comment on this is i think i just started thinking about what company could sponsor dumb loses more than smart wins and i the best thing i came up with is the princeton review <laughs> from uh from one of my son's alma maters right there at princeton right there so yeah i just sat go. prep cliff notes maybe <laughs> like we could we could really if if peter giancini our podcast uh Guru is listening to this. I really think there's some opportunity here, um, and you know, to, to to mine the lack of intellect space to uh, to you know, we we can't we can't let Eckridge get all the uh, all the sponsor love here. So you know, in a, in a previous podcast, because see, you're not the only one that gets to reference previous podcasts from yeah. time to time. There was sure. the uh, there there was the uh, kids thing that encouraged safety. I think it was from Australia. Are you familiar with the dumb ways to die song? No. Okay. Well, we did it, and I, I, I parodied we should it. Play dumb that. ways to lose. Uh, yeah, I know. Maybe we should find that. Dumb ways to die. Uh, it's yeah. things like set fire to your hair, poke a stick at a grizzly bear, <laughs> eat medicine that's out of date, use your private parts as piranha bait. Dumb ways <laughs> to die. So many dumb ways to die, and I parodied that to dumb ways to lose. So maybe. Uh, maybe we'll work on that for, for next week. It, it's Run really, play it'll, it'll on get stuck in long. your head. And, yeah, it'll get stuck in your head. And also, Pete, if you go and listen to it with, you know, and maybe share it at a little later age with young Teddy, uh, every time you go to retrieve a piece of toast out of the toaster, you will hear that song in your head and you'll remind yourself not to stick a fork in there to get it out if it's stuck. You'll re- it'll see it so it's useful too. Yes, that is uh, that is fair. I, I can't resist with the toaster reference. Uh, do you remember the Trevor Lawrence wedding registry? I, I do. Yes, yes, I do. So on my old podcast, we talked about that quite a bit. And uh, one of Kate's friends' husbands bought us. Now, he didn't buy us like the $10,000 Trevor Lawrence toaster, but bought us like this super like spaceship toaster that is unbelievable. And so I chuckle every time at the uh, absurdity of, of the reach of our podcasts uh, when reaching for an English muffin. And who doesn't yeah. like a delicious English muffin in the morning? <laughs> That's good. Uh, uh, we're going to we're going to have to going to have to get get a little stick perhaps on the uh, anniversary yes. registry for our Jaguars to <laughs> uh, hold on a little, little bit better in the rain. Our our Jags, I thought our Jags had something going yesterday and it kind of slipped away in the rain. We're okay, though. Uh, we're, we're Are you, are you a converted Jags fan? Because I, I am. Yes. My, my, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, I no, my, my son and I have decided this because I, I think I've mentioned this before. I'm not, uh, I watch the NFL every week because I love football, sure. 
but I'm yeah. not a, I don't have a team, a hardcore okay. team. I end up, yeah. I end up rooting for guys that I've enjoyed covering. Um, sure. It is probably, it is probably the one area where I'm not as afraid to let my, um, you know, let my Alabama roots show a little bit. I like to root for the Alabama guys. I like to root for Trevor yeah. because I liked him, but because sure. of our, because of our, uh, relocation recently my my son said you've always kind of been a falcons fan he goes why don't we adopt the jags so the last few weeks we've been we've we've decided you know what heck with this let's go all in let's call them we let's go (laughs) (laughs) all right so so we're so we're in with the jacks so uh, we're we're building we're good so that is uh, that is good probably a good time to buy jag stock Right. Yeah. Like it's yeah. it's probably not going to go down after uh, a- after last season. And yeah, I mean, who didn't enjoy covering, watching, interacting with Trevor Lawrence? I, know, I mean, great. my gosh, what a, you know, yeah. he, just unbelievable player, uh, just unbelievable talent. And it's, you know, again, I I live in New England, so I certainly have an affinity for the Patriots and, and grew up. But obviously that franchise has delivered monster moments, um, you know, the past the past two decades. So I keep an eye if I'm home on a Sunday. You know, the, the Patriots usually on in the background mm-hmm. while I'm rolling around with Teddy on the on the floor. But I do have the same kind of sensibilities as you where, like, I really like Dak Prescott. So, gosh, I hope, you know, he does well in Dallas and gets healthy. You know, there's just there's yeah. different places or this coach ends up as a coordinator here or or, 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 or whatever. It used to be like Chip Kelly, you know, and I was you sure, know, hope yeah. that, you know, that the guys like, you know, guys you just kind of run across that uh, that do uh, that, that do well there. But that's a full on Jags adoption. This yeah, is, we're try- uh, this we're is trying. interesting. I mean, I'm not saying All it's right. natural yet. We're still in the okay. working process. Right. De- having, Devin got- Lo- yeah. having Devin Lloyd on the team helps, Ooh. too, because I, I always Ooh. I love Devin Lloyd at Utah. So, yeah. you know, that, that he was a too. monster at Utah. And he's yeah. and again, I follow the NFL gently because as yeah. Kate You're reminds busy. us, yeah. coaches get fired on Sundays. Yeah. So um, and that that was we had a double dip yesterday. Um, so but. Yeah, I've just seen some some numbers on Devin Lloyd that he's been uh, he's been great. When are you going to go to your first Jags game, Reese? That's what I want to know. Uh, we've been we've been looking at that. Maybe maybe around uh, Thanksgiving. My son's living on the West Coast now. Just moved out there to okay. train for the off season. So that's right. Um, so we'll see. We're going to try to get there. Try to get there this okay. year. Try to get there. All right. I can help you there if you need some help. All right. I, I know you can. This is the most connected man because of our as the great Pat McAfee has uh, dubbed him. He's the authority. Pete family the authority. Operation like Jags. Now I'm gonna watch the Jags with more with more interest. No, um, see now no, see, you start doing that and you'll start every time there's a turnover, fumble, other team scores <laughs> a touchdown. I'll be getting a text. Ha ha ha. You know? <laughs> I'm not gonna take that. Nah, I'm not gonna text <laughs> it, but no, this is this is good. It's it's good to have it's good to have conviction. Just like we, you know, we 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 watch Nebraska and think of Sarah and we watch Maryland yep. and think of uh think of Taylor. We you know, everybody's got you know that, that we have to stay unbiased, but that doesn't mean those around us, you know, we can't enjoy the you know the emotional swings of it all so. i got i got not one text in the group text when wake forest was laying it to florida state and winning another super dog this week so just <laughs> just, just thought i i hope i i hope i've been uh, forgiven and i've repented of for the error of my ways and not following uh, or not believing in the demon deacons for a couple weeks and they and they rewarded me handsomely and i'm i'm eternally grateful so that was a hell of a win that was a great win. Going to Tallahassee against 
Yeah, yeah they're good. Florida State's good. They're good. Yeah, that that yeah. was a terrific win. 39 fourth, fifth, sixth year guys that Dave Clawson is. That was a heck of yeah. an and unexpected by me. A lot of, if you look at my picks from this week, I don't know what my record was, but a lot of the results were unexpected by me. So I want to be clear. <laughs> hey, you know what? It's it's like, like my buddy Jay Billis always says when they say, Oh, you missed this pick. He goes, If we knew who was going to win, we'd do something else for a living. Now, wouldn't we? So there, <laughs> yes. There yeah. you go. Because yeah. all these gambling guys, they, they brag about being 56%. Well, that's yeah. just barely better than a true false test. So, I mean, you know, stop yes. it already. We're you're either lucky or you're not. That's the way it goes. Hey, Pete, this has been this has been great. We'll turn our attention uh, more toward the games coming up on Wednesday's edition of the College Game Day podcast. Uh, we encourage you to listen three times a week and download this podcast wherever you enjoy getting your podcast. We'll see you next time.